Well, we want to welcome each one to our service this morning. Special welcome to visitors that are among us this morning. And we greet you in the name of Jesus, our living Lord, the one who has compassion in all men. But as I look at Jesus, there's some things in his ministry there that uh, we see that Jesus has a special heart for children. Uh, we look in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, we have the context there where parents were bringing their children to Jesus, and they were wanting Jesus to touch them and place some kind of a blessing in their lives. And we, we see the, the disciples, it says, were displeased with it and were trying to send them away. You know, they didn't see that as significant. They didn't see that as important. But Jesus rebukes them. He said, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. I've been blessed here in this congregation as I see young families with children. You know, as you look across the churches of America, that isn't the case in a lot of settings. You know, the title of the message is this morning is Homes That Reproduce the Faith. Sad statistics today among evangelicals in America. And, and not only in evangelicals, I guess there's a burden as I look into some of the churches of our Anabaptist heritage and seeing how uh, small the percentage is in some cases of, of the children uh, taking up the faith that was taught uh, in the churches and as they, as they grew up through, through Sunday school and, and teaching. And years, I think 19, 1999, uh, we purchased the, the church building where we worship now. And the reason that that church was closing down, it had dwindled to 14 elderly people. It was no longer, no longer feasible for them to keep and maintain the church building. And so they closed the the uh, church uh, down, and and uh, you know we were able to acquire that building. Uh, I, I have a, a Baptist friend that I relate to different times. I used to relate to a lot in the past, and you know he talked a lot about his church life. And one day I said to him, I said, "What's the what's the demographics of your congregation there? What's the age brackets?" And he said, "Well, he said right now." If I recall, he said, we have one young family with children. You know, he said, the others have gone. Uh, Creation Institute, uh, Ken Ham, uh, I think he wrote a book called Already Gone. And the plight of that book was, he said, uh, you know, the, he begins a book by, by uh, uh, telling him to look around the congregation and look at the, the children and the youth. And then to imagine that they're no longer there. And he said, the reason for that is it's a reality. And he gave this, uh, the statistical percentages, and I'm not sure I have them correct, but I think he, uh, his statement there that 90% of them will not return to the church. And when they come to teenage years, they, they go off and they go off to school and get involved in the things of the world, and there's an indifference towards the church. And I know that book I talked about some statistical research and uh, why, that, uh, why, that, why that took place, how that took place. Another article I read was in the World News Magazine probably back in the mid-'90s. Uh, the title was called uh, Wayward Children and Hurting Parents. And, you know, the question and the cry was, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And, uh, you know, they say we carried them, to buy, we carried them into the church. We, we took them to Bible school, to Sunday school. We sent, spent fortunes for Christian education. They spent volumes on literature, how to do this just right. But the children are gone. Uh, a statistic was done recently as to what, what the problem is. There was a survey done uh, and, and as they did that survey of the, of the young people that grew up in church and, and today were indifferent, and the statistical information that came back was summarized, it was basically the parents' inconsistency of scripture 
and belief in life and practice. In other words, we go to church, we hear the word preached, we hear the word taught, but it really made no, no difference, no impact on the life of the parents. Yes, they professed to be Christian, but you know, they were indifferent to the things of the Lord. They, they, you know, they, their, their recreational life, their, their, uh, their entertainment, their, their things they pursued were, were very little different than the things of the world. And, and these things, according to that book, uh, created a, a sense of confusion in the fact that what is Christianity, what is the Christian faith really worth? Uh, and because it really made no impact in the lives of the generation before it, before them, their, their conclusions were, were that it's, it's, you know, it, it's really not all that important. And that's a tragedy this morning. And it, according to that one article I read, you know, most of them consider, these, these young people that left the church, they consider themselves to be Christian by name because, you know, they had an association with church at one time, but... They're merely indifferent to the things of the scriptures. And I'd, I'd like to say this morning that, you know, while these things are, are, are out there in the evangelical churches, you know, they, 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 come, they, they press in on our Anabaptist churches as well. And so this morning, you know, I guess my, my, my burden is that, that we could have homes that would generate a vision in the coming generation that when they come to years of accountability and the Lord calls in their life that they see it something of value something of purpose something that that they need uh, in order to go through life and I've chosen this morning to look at the the 58th chapter of Isaiah uh, and and I I know you know there's I, I'm not going to go into a lot of the detail of, of the things in child raising. And I guess one of the things that has amused me sometimes is as we were young parents and, and you know, how do we do this? And, you know, how, how can we do this just right that our children, it was almost, it was almost an overwhelming burden to us. And we, we you know, we, we'd read different books and, and uh, a lot of them books, they just knew right how to do it. And, and I found that you know, we had we had seven children, and and what worked for one didn't work for the other, and so you know, we need the wisdom of God as we go through. But I think more than anything else this morning, uh, our our children need a role model of faith, and I, I think that's going to be the strongest uh, impact that we can leave on our children's lives. So at this time, I'd like to look at the 58th chapter of Isaiah. I'd like to read that, and I'd like you, as I come to the, the latter part of that verse, I guess it, it's, it's something I noticed here uh, some time ago that I never noticed before, and that is the, the uh, if we, from verse 12 uh, to the end of the chapter, you know, the first, the first part of the chapter, we see here, uh, we see a picture of, the, of a godly man and we see a picture of a, a religious pretender. And then it, as we look at the blessings of the godly man, and, and you look at the effect that he leaves on the, the posterity, the children that, he's, uh, that, that God has entrusted to their care, uh, you look at the impact that that life has on the children. And so I'd like to begin here. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1, it says, Cry loud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Now here is the mandate from God to Isaiah the prophet that he's to go out and he's to reveal, he's to expose, he's to help the people understand their sins. And uh, as we go into the next, uh, the verse 2, it says, uh, if you know, it almost seems like a paradox here. Uh, Isaiah is being sent out to tell the people the transgression. But then we go to verse 2. It says, yet they seek me daily. You know, this is people 
Uh, there's a people here that were living in transgression, and yet they were making a uh, they were making at least a show of trying to seek the Lord daily. It says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of God. They ask of me ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching unto the to God. Wherefore we have fasted, say they. Thou hast not seen, wherefore we have, have we afflicted ourselves, and thou takest no knowledge. Behold, in the day of your fast ye you find pleasure, and ye exact all of your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, to smite with the fist of wickedness, that, that with a sw- smite with the fist of wickedness, and ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast acceptable to the Lord? And we go, and I, I think there what we have as we look at them first five verses, you have a picture of a, re, of a religious pretender. Someone that is very concerned about other, uh, you know, external details, things that, things that, uh, you know, would be kind of used as a cover to cover over really what's in the depth of the heart. But then we go on to verse 6. God says, is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and, thou, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out into thy house, and when thou seest the naked, that you cover him, and that thou hide thyself, that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. And that then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and the speaking vanity. If thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And then I'd like for us to get there in verse 12 where it says, and they that shall be of thee. That's referring to the, the, the rising generation, the one the, 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 the children that God has entrusted into your home, into your care. He says, they shall build the old waste places. They shall rise up the, raise up the foundations of many generations. And now shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of the paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, holy, unto, holy of the Lord, honorable, and thou shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You know, I remember as a boy... Growing up in the Weaverland Conference Church, an old order church, this was a passage that was read every twice a year at proprietary service. Now, this was read and it was always referred to in the, in the light of fasting. But as I look at this, this passage of scripture here, this passage gives clear picture to, to, to two characters, characters of persons. One, who are, one, one character is the person that is merely externally religious. He has a form of godliness, but he doesn't understand the power thereof. Uh, he has a heart that is self-centered and carnal. Uh, 
and he, he seems to cover that up with, with, you know, just simply an external form of religion. Uh, with this kind of man, God is not pleased. You know, we go on, the other character we see here is his expression of faith and his, his deeds that he does come from the heart. He, he has a genuine commitment to God and all his expressions of life declare a depth of relationship uh, with reverence toward God. Uh, the relationships uh, on the horizontal level declare a relationship that he has with God. And uh, this morning, you know, if we're here and you're saying, well, you know, I'm not sure which I am. But I'd like to tell you, if you have adolescent children, they'll be able to tell you which you are. Because they will be able, as our children grow up, one of the things that they are, they can read through, uh, they can read through our lives very clearly. My children knew where my priorities were. And I, I think your children know what, what motivates your life. They know what makes you tick. They know what makes you run. And uh, it's out of those, that information that they're gathering as children. You know, children come in innocence. And to a certain period of childhood development, a child will look to his parent. His daddy is his idol. But, you know, it'll come to a place in time, what we call the adolescent years. They begin to take the information that they have gathered, and they begin to affix values to life. They might still be under your household. They might still be uh, everything seeming fine. But, you know, there's going to come in a few years after that adolescent period, they enter into young adulthood. And they're going to they're gonna take a choice in life that, they, that is according to the values they have fixed to life as they observed the parents. Now I realize that each child, each person that is born here has, has a will to choose for himself what path he's going to take. Uh, he, he has that choice. And... Uh, you know, I don't believe there's any parents that good in their commitment to God that is going to absolutely assure that every one of their children are going to follow the faith. And neither do I believe there's parents that are that wicked and evil that that child cannot find the Lord and go on to live victoriously. However, what I'm talking about is as the mainstream and the average, you know, the, 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 the normal thing of development there is that you and I, uh, we have the most powerful dynamic of influence in our children than the whole world around us. Uh, we, need, we need to remember that. And I've often, you know, when people see their children going out into the world and they, they you know, they, they'll look at things and they'll say, well, it's, it's, it's because of this, it's, it's because of that, and they, they, they shift the blame, but brothers and sisters, I believe that we have an influence, or we ought to have an influence on our on our children in our homes that is greater than all the influence of the world around us. And uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever wondered about Noah. I I, I marvel at the man Noah. I really do. You know, I wonder how Noah. You know, he lived in a world that had apostated to the place that after uh, Noah's predecessors had passed off the scene, you know, there was no more righteous men there in the, in the, in the world. And for, for, for a hundred years, Noah built an ark. If we go back into Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us there, wherefore Noah moved with fear, build an ark to the saving of his household. 75 feet wide, 450 foot long, 45 foot high. Um, 
I have a feeling Noah was ridiculed and mocked, and I don't know what kind of technology they have, but if it was only me and my sons to carry out that work in a lifetime, that's a lot of work. But I have a feeling they had to go out and they had to look out gopher trees. They had to cut them gopher trees down. They had to saw them into boards, and then they had to build this huge structure on dry ground while telling the people that there's coming a flood of destruction being laughed to scorn. But Noah kept his sons. That's exciting to me this morning. That gives me hope against all the darkness in the world because there was a, there was a faith that was demonstrated in the life of Noah that, that, that his sons understood that there is a God that is real in the life of their father. And he was, he was you know, they didn't turn, they, and they became willing partakers of the ridicule. They, be, they were willing that when the day came that God said, it's time to go into the ark. He didn't, he didn't have to go out and coax his sons to come in. They willingly went in the ark with him, them and their wives. They took them along into the ark, and when, when God shut the door, I believe they, it was just to them as though it was already raining, because God had spoken it. God had said it. That's how they moved in life. As God said it, they obeyed it. They took it by faith, even though they didn't understand. You know, uh, it was quite different from Lot. You know, Lot would be one on the other side. Lot... The Bible tells us that Lot was a righteous man and his righteous soul was vexed with the, with the filthy conversation of the wicked. But you know, it seems somehow Lot liked to associate with that. You know, Lot could have got himself away from it, but he had an interest in the things of Sodom. He had an interest in the carnal affairs and the carnal activities that went on there, even though we don't really find out that Lot defiled himself with the sins of Sodom. I don't think he did, but there was, there was a, an unhealthy interest there. And when the day came that God was going to bring judgment on the, the, uh, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the angel said, if there's any souls in this city that you would like to take along, go out and gather them in. And he went out and he talked to his son-in-laws and his daughters. And what, did, what was their response? They laughed. Idle tales. So what? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And they perished in Sodom. Do we see the difference this morning, fathers and mothers? You know, where are we affixing our values in life? Our children know the values of our life. They know what we love. They know what makes us tick. They, they, they understand. Uh, you know, we go back into the book of Deuteronomy. God gives, maybe I'll just turn back there and pick up a few verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Very familiar passage of scripture. But uh, the first thing it says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, as we look into the lives of our posterity in verses 6 and 7, God, uh, Moses tells the children of Israel, he says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. God's word must be the treasure of our hearts. He says, And then thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And the, the next thing it says, And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and while thou rise, and when thou risest up, you know, a, a heart that's centered on God, a heart that is centered on the things of God, is going to be expressed in every every application, every situation of life. It's not going to be what can I get out of this for myself? How can I advantage myself? All those kind of things. It's <clears throat> excuse me. It's what God has declared. You know, this is where we're going to move. This is why we do what we do. This is how we, this is how we, uh, this is how we operate. And this is why we operate like that. I remember years ago, 
I was in my office and, and I got a call from one of them customers like, uh, you, you get a few of them somewhere in the mix. It's not the ones you really appreciate, but you know, he, he had called me up to wrangle over a bill. You know, he, he, uh, he, he thought he shouldn't have to pay the, the amount of the bill. And I, you know, finally we went over the bill, we looked at the bill and I said, well, you know, the serviceman was there this amount of time. He used, did he use this part? Yes, yes, he used this part. But he didn't think for whatever reason he didn't have to pay. And I was going through this and, and after a while I said, well, it, it's just like this. I said, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I gave you a bill because I thought it was, it was just, it was fair. Uh, but I, I tell you what, if you don't want to pay that, I said, you, you pay the portion of that that you feel is just and right. Uh, can, can you live with that? Well, yeah, he, he, that, that took a lot of the argument away. But So anyway, I, was, I hung up the phone. That's the way we left it. And uh, I walked out of the office, and my daughter came after me. She was like 19 at that time, working there in the office. And she said, Dad, you can't do that. They are taking you across. You know it. I said, Marty, I said, I can do this. As a matter of fact, I said, I have to do this. I said, I want to tell you a story. I said, you didn't know my grandfather. But my grandfather was a, a godly man. And he didn't, you know, he didn't, I mean, he was, he was never outgoing. Uh, in the eyes of, the eyes of the, a lot of people, just an ordinary person. But Grandpa, when he married Grandma, there was a farm for him in the inheritance. There was a, there was a farm that was there, and uh, it was a long story. But anyway, the day came that he was supposed to receive the farm that he had promised. And there was two brothers. My great or my grandmother had had two brothers. It was her and two brothers, and uh, my grandfather had worked for his father-in-law on sharecropping for many years. And, and, and Dottie died, and, and, and now it's time to settle the inheritance. They opened the will, and, and Sadie and Ivan were supposed to get that one farm. He had, he had worked in shares for, for him for many years, and, and, uh, but the two brothers went together. And they got their heads together, and they said, no, uh, since you're a girl, you don't, you don't deserve that whole farm, you know, it told, told grandma, you don't deserve that. And so you're going to have to pay half the value of the farm back into the estate. You get half the farm. And, uh, you know, I guess it was, there's feelings that will go with that. You know, we're all human. There's, there's feelings. And, uh, I just, I just said that, you know, Grandpa, as I grew up, him and his brother-in-laws lived a half a mile apart. And I said, I knew Grandpa, and I knew the brother-in-law, and I saw him relate. I said, there was not an evidence or a thread that there would have been any animosity, any bitterness that came out of that. He left that go. And I said, the interesting point, I said, there's two things. I said, when the one that took advantage of the situation died, he was a pauper. He had nothing. I said, my grandfather was never a rich man. He was never a rich man, but I said, when he died, there was an inheritance to divide to the children. And I said, beyond that, he left a legacy of faith that in his posterity, I said, as I look at my family, I look at the choices were grandpa's family made. And I look at the choices that were made on the other side of that, a comparison. I said, the lines are falling on me in goodly places, pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. The values of eternity need to be what drives every decision of our lives. And our children will see that. They will catch on to the value of that. 
I need to move back into the text here just a little bit. We, we look at the religious pretender. Now, I, I find that very interesting. For years, I read through this, and I said, what's wrong with this picture? But, you know, because it seemed like God wasn't happy, but yet they were doing uh, a lot of good things. He said, they, they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness, they forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me ordinances of justice. They delighted in approaching to God. You know, th those are some of the things they did. There was, there, was, there, was a, there was a diligence in external religious activity. Um, you, you know, they, 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 there's a difference between simply having a head knowledge of God's ways or a heart knowledge. You know, they, they delighted to know. They, they, you know, they, they, they could recite a lot of things, but somehow that the truth and the knowledge of that had never gripped the heart to a place where it put it in action in life. And, and we see as they went through the same time, they were going through this, this religious activity. Uh, you know, they come in verse 4, it says, Behold, ye fast... Uh, no, verse 3, it says, you know, they're, they're kind of accusing God. They say, you know, we've fasted, we've done all these things. Uh, we've afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge. You know, what's wrong? And, and he says here, he says, uh, uh, Because, behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. Uh, you know, while they were going through these religious activities, they were... Their focus and their heart was set on the, the, the things, the pleasures of life. And, uh, and he said, you exact all your labors. And I find it interesting. It would have the idea here that while they're fasting, they're, they're, they're going through their, their ritual religious piety. It says they're exacting all their labors. And that word exact has the idea to drive as an animal. You know, they, they, were, they were off to worship, but they had their servants back taking care of duties and there was no mercy upon them. They were, they were expecting them to, um, you know, be, be uh, there, was, there was a sense of cruelty there toward their servants uh, so that the, uh, there, there was, a, I believe, a heart of, of desire for, for material wealth that, that they couldn't lay aside. You know, they exacted, they demanded of their, their workers uh, extreme extreme labor and he said you know they the other thing of it is he said they're they're fasting for strife and debate you know they obviously it would appear to me like there was people uh, that they were at complete odds with they were in argument with them there was a contention going on and they 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 were fasting with the hope and the intent that somehow God would give them the preeminence over that person that they were in conflict with. You know, their heart, their heart wasn't truly yielded to God. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, you, you, you fast, uh, you fast for, for strife and debate. Uh, you fast to smite with the fist of wickedness. Uh, he said, you shall not fast as you do this day. To make your voice be heard and high. You know, these people were wanting, a, they were wanting to be recognized for their, their, their form of religion they, that was simply external. They, they had a desire to, to be noticed, to be heard, to be influential. Um, God said the fast that I'm looking for isn't, isn't that kind of a fast. And so we, we go on to the godly man. We have here, he says, uh, is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? Um, you, you see the focus is different here. Uh, this man is, is, there's an external uh, form of piety that is, the, that is visible and it is seen, but there's something different driving it from the core and the recesses of the heart. You have here that, that, uh, you know, he desires to be set, uh, he, he desires, first of all, in the fast, there is a desire to be loosed from the bonds of wickedness. In other words, this man came to a time of fasting. 
His focus went internal into his own heart and life. You know, what is it, Lord, that, that you see in my life that you would like to see different? It was a time of, of allowing God to do an inner inspection and to be willing to turn from, from the bands of wickedness. He said it's a time to undo the heavy burdens. You know, if we go back into Hebrews, it tells us there that we're to lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is before us. You know, that th this was the heart of the godly man. Uh, he, he wants to be loosened from the bands of wickedness. He wants to be free from the shackles and burdens that are, that are, that are binding him down. Uh, and then he looks, his focus goes also out to others. He said, you let the oppressed go free. You know, where the other man was oppressive. He was, he was exacting, he was driving his servants, he was, he was a man that was brutal and cruel. Here on the other hand, you see this individual has a heart of compassion. And he wants to break every yoke. Uh, he says it's a time to deal bread to the hungry. Again, a person of compassion. It says that thou bring the poor in that are cast out into thy house. And when thou seest the naked, thou cover him. And that thou hide thyself, hide not, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. And I find that very interesting. You know, how honest are we with ourselves as men? You know, as 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 God reveals his light into our life and our heart, are we willing to allow every inner detail of our life to be under the inspection of God's searchlight? Or are we a person that in our mind has a view of ourselves that's somewhere up here, but we're really refusing to allow the searchlight of God? You know, you're hiding from the reality of our own self and our own heart. That's, that's very deceptive. But he said, this godly man, he, he, he welcomes the searchlight of God to, to search into the very recesses of the heart. And, 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 and he's in communion with God, desiring that God would free him from every yoke and bondage so that he can serve God with a pure heart and with a whole heart. You know, as you look at these two men, a lot of the details on the external probably didn't look a whole lot different. But you know, there was a world of difference as God looked into them lives. And, and, and I believe, you know, I believe too that, that as you worked around them people, if you knew them both personally, you would have saw a big difference in their lives. And uh, then God talks about the blessing that comes to that individual. He says that, you know, thy light shall break forth as the morning. Thy health shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. And thou shalt call on the Lord, and he shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away the midst of thee the yoke, and the putting forth of the finger, and the speaking of vanity... And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness shall be as the noonday. There's a person, there's a description of a man that's walking in the light of the Lord, not one that's drawing back in darkness. Verse 11, we have the promise there. It said, the Lord shall guide thee continually. He shall satisfy thy soul in drought, shall make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of waters whose waters fail not. What tremendous blessing God has for the man of God whose heart is set on God. I don't know that you could put a value on the things that it says there that God will do. But the point this morning is that that effect is going to pass on to the next generation. It's going to have a dynamic impact on the next generation. It says in verse 12, referring to the posterity, it says, They that be of thee, they that shall be of thee, they shall build the old waste places. 
Brothers and sisters this morning, when we look at the life of the Western church and we see the, uh, the, the, the apostasy and the things that are taking place, you know, that should burden our hearts. But you know, if we're going to follow the example that's given here, it says our children are going to be those that are going to rise up and they're going to build them old waste places. What a tremendous promise this evening, or this morning. That is powerful. That is powerful. They shall build the old waste places. They shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You know, they're going to repair the foundations. They're, they're, they're going to be out there building and laboring in the kingdom of God, even though that around us in this world there's darkness and, and men... I think as we look at our society today, we see a society that is moving farther and farther and farther away from God. But you know, the, the posterity of the godly, they're the ones that are going to stand in the gap. They're, 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 going to, they're going to build the old, raise up the old foundations and build the waste places. And it says, and thou shalt be called the repair of the breach the restorer of the paths to dwell in. What is our vision this morning as we think of the coming generation? You know, as we think of, of building, uh, you know, God has, God has given us the, the blessing, the, the, the guidance that we need. And I, I just like to look at at, at just a, an account here of scripture in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, we have a group of people that were called the Rechabites. And these, these people that were the Rechabites, uh, they were, they were uh, kind of a, a group that stood out from the rest of people because of their, their teaching. And uh, we have here... Uh, Jeremiah bringing them to a test. Now the teaching here was that they were a people that uh, the, the house of Rechab was not to be someone that, that, that drank wine. They were not to live in houses. And they, uh, you know, they were, they were called out to, to serve God. And uh, we go here into Jeremiah uh, let me see if I can find it here. Jeremiah chapter 35. We have the, the account where, where Jeremiah goes out to the, uh, to, to the, to the sons of Rechab, uh, sons of Jonadab, and uh, maybe just to back up on that, Jonad, or Rech, the, their father Rechab had... Uh, Led his sons, and he he plant, he commanded them that you know there there were several things that he commanded. Maybe I'll just read them. He said, uh, "Here, here, God is telling Jeremiah to go to the house of the Rechabites and to speak unto them, and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink." And I took Janaziah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah. And his brethren and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of, of Hanan, the son of Ingaliah, a man of God, which was in the chamber, and of the princes, which was above the chamber, and Manasseh and the sons of Shalom, and the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, Drink ye wine. And... Uh, you know, just to get a picture of this, Jeremiah was told to take these, these certain men, he was to take them into a room there in the temple, and he was to, to bring in the sons of the Rechabites, and he was to set wine before the Rechabites and, and watch what they would do. This was to be a witness against these, these men that were heads of the tribes of Israel. And uh, as he set these wine pots before them, he said, we will not, we will drink no wine, for Jonadab, uh, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither your sons forever. 
Neither shall ye build houses, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyards, nor have any, but all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live your days in the land where ye were strangers. And thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab our father, the son of Rechab our father, in all that he hath charged us to drink no wine, all the days we, our wives, our sons, our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither to have ye vineyards, nor fields, nor seed. But we have dwelled in tents, and have obeyed, and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, had commanded us. Uh, and then it says, but, but the time it came in time to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was come into the land, uh, that he said, come and let us go into Jerusalem for the fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for the fear of the army of the Syrians, so to dwell at Jerusalem. So we have this group of Rechabites that were normally out on the deserts. They were nomadic people following their sheep that had a faith in God, and they, they followed the commandments of their, their great-grandfather, or their grandfather, Rechab. And... Uh, they were, they were living as strangers in the land of Israel. And they were commanded that they should not drink wine. Uh, they, they were to be free of wine. They were, they were to be Nazarites. And we have here Jeremiah bringing them into the temple in front of these men that were leaders of Israel and said, now watch what they're going to do. And so he takes these wine pots and these cups and he, uh, Jeremiah the prophet now, they probably recognized that Jeremiah was a prophet, so he should be safe to listen to, right? Preachers should be safe to listen to. Uh, but he says, now, here's your opportunity, guys. Uh, have yourselves some wine. And they said, no way. We will not do it. Because our father taught us. He, he, he lived by principles, and we, he taught us them principles. We're going to live by that. And uh, Jeremiah uses that as, 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 a, as a, a witness against Israel who had forsaken God's ways. But there's something here I want us to catch in this whole account. Something that, that, that blesses my heart. But in verse 18 it says, And Jeremiah said unto the house, and after the test was over, uh, Jeremiah looks back to these, these Rechabite people, is the sons of Jonadab. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The God of Israel, because ye have obeyed the commandment of your father Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts, and had done according to all that he hath commanded you. You, know, you see how the, they, the effect that had went on down to the next generation he says, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not want a man to stand before me forever. I'd like that truth to sink into our hearts this morning. The faithfulness of a father in his relationship to God and his willing to, in humility, teach that to the next generation and the next generation, and pass it down. And God said, there shall not want of the man of the sons of Jonadab to stand before me forever. I believe this morning, there are places in this world where the descendants of Jonadab are proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus Christ. What a tremendous heritage to us. We can't let it slip through our fingers. You know, brothers and sisters, I come back. You know, we take the responsibility of our children seriously. I, I trust you do. And there's all kinds of books and periodicals and whatever you want to read. And there's all kinds of information. And I'd like to tell you this morning, you can get whatever flavor of that information you want to out there that I believe we have a book here that gives us the fundamentals of the faith. And if we're going to live by it, we're going to walk in it, we're going to see the blessing passed on to the future generations. I just, 
You know, I was sharing with someone this week that, you know, it's such a joy to see our children come to know the Lord. And then we shepherd them and disciple them. But there comes a time we have to leave them go. You know, we simply stand back as a, as, as a, as a, as a, a mentor maybe and uh, willing to speak into their lives as we have opportunity. But it's the, the, the second blessing comes when we see them of their own volition, of their own choice, decide to follow the Lord and to uphold the principles and the precepts of God's word by their own conviction. That is, that is, that's the second blessing and excitement. But what's even greater is when you see them hold them little children in their arms and they grow and they begin to instruct them in the ways of the Lord and then to see the grandchildren come to know the Lord. That is a blessing. And I believe that's a blessing that God wants us to understand. That's something that he wants to be a reality in our lives. But brothers and sisters, it's going to start with a genuine heart commitment in our hearts in order to be able to pass that on faithfully. And I just want to encourage you young families here this evening or this morning. It's yes, the task looks big. The task is huge. But by God's grace, we're able to do it. And, and again, I come back. We, we, we instruct our children by the things that we teach them. But they are going to look what those things we teach them has done for us in our lives. They're looking for an example. They're looking for a heart that's truly dedicated to, the, to, to Christ. They're looking for a heart that's not sidetracked with the pleasures the recreations and the entertainments in the world. They're not looking for, I mean, they're looking for how much we're willing to separate ourselves from this world for the cause of the kingdom, not seeing how close we can get to the world and its ways and all the things that go with that. So brothers and sisters, young families here, I just, I just want to encourage you this morning. Take courage. Um, be faithful. And, and, and raise, train and instruct the children that have been entrusted here in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of godliness. The blessings are great when we do that. Shall we bow our heads for a word of prayer?